Welcome to In The Soup, the podcast by restauranteurs for restauranteurs. We're back for a new series, this time focused on reopening. Over these episodes, I'll be talking to top industry experts from countries that are a step ahead of the UK in the recovery process. We'll learn how they opened up successfully and safely so that we could do the same. super excited to be back for series two. We've got an amazing guest on today, Indra Cantona, founder of Jigger and Pony. His cocktail bar was named the top bar in Asia this year, an incredible accolade, in particular at a time when Jigger and Pony has been closed since March because of COVID-19. In this episode, we talk about how he has pivoted the business to deliver cocktails to his loyal customers, how Singapore has effectively reopened, and what the future of the restaurant business looks like. Indra clearly has a good head for business, and it was great to hear all the ways he's reacted to the limitations of COVID-19 now that he's in the reopening stage. I hope you enjoy the episode. Indra, so nice to meet you. I'm really excited about this first interview of our second season. You are a consultant turned restauranter, uh, very close to my heart. And, and I'm very, very excited to hear uh, that path and how you went about that. So I'd love to just kick off by having you give us a little bit of an intro about you and your path in, into the industry. Sure. Thank you so much, Christian. It's been a pleasure here uh, being in your show. Uh, my name is Indra Cantono. I'm based here in Singapore. I'm originally Indonesian, but I've lived here in Singapore for about 20 years now. I run a food and beverage company based here in Singapore together with my wife and co-founder, uh, Kuo Yi. And the company is called Jigger and Pony. We started that in 2012, so about eight years ago. We started with one cocktail bar by the same name, Jigger and Pony. Um, that has been around all eight years and also happy to share that uh, a couple of months ago, Jigger and Pony was ranked as the number one bar in all of Asia. Um, so wow. it's something that we are very proud about and, uh, you know, have built over the Congrats. years. Uh, we've also been quite busy on the expansion front. So we've expanded uh, the group from one uh, cocktail bar to having five different brands now within, uh, within the group. All of them are in Singapore. We have two other cocktail bars, which are Gibson and Liftwise. And then we have two restaurants. One is a seafood restaurant and oyster bar called Humback, and then an Italian, um, Italian American restaurant called Cafe Fernet. So that's the that's the F and B uh, groups that we have. We got into this, um, you know, from relatively unconven relatively unconventional route. So my wife used to work for Singapore Airlines as a flight attendant. She calls it the best hospitality school in Singapore. Uh, loves meeting people, loves hospitality, but just got a little tired of all the time zone differences. So she decided to open Depends. a bar. And uh, I was at that time, I've left consulting from Bain & Company and uh, was doing private equity. So doing mostly financial investments uh, in Singapore. And I started helping out just on the financial side and then you know, helping her uh, structuring the business side. But then got hooked and started uh, spending way too much time at the bar and then realized this is where <laughs> I really want to spend all of my time. There. So, uh, yeah, we now run it uh, together. We have about 60, 65 people uh, working with us here uh, in Singapore. And uh, it's been a fun ride so far. 
That's amazing. And, 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 and winning the, the best bar in Asia must have been a, a tremendous boost to the business, uh, especially in, in these uncertain times. It, like, t- tell us a little bit about how, how that, what impact that had on the business, this, this award. Yeah, I mean, you know, awards is, is, is always a nice uh, reflection, I guess, from your own community, from your industry of, of, uh, of the good that the team uh, are doing. And uh, it wasn't something that we necessarily aimed for, but it's definitely helped us along the way. Um, Asia's 50 Best Bars, which is the kind of like the offshoot of the, the larger world's 50 Best Bar, uh, started in Asia in 2016. And Jigger and Pony has been ranked on the list uh, every year since then, and finally reaching number one this year. Um, it happened in middle of May, while Singapore was in a, in a, in a soft lockdown mode. Uh, and I'm sure we'll get into that in a bit, but... Uh, during that time, we are only allowed to do delivery service. And where previous years, it was going to be a big red carpet ceremony uh, and party here in Singapore. This year, it's gone virtual. And when the, the live telecast of the awards came, up, came on, um, we were working together in the, in the venue doing delivery service. So when we realized we were number one, you know, it was, it was a jubilant mood. Half of our team was joining in via Zoom. The other one was, uh, you know, packing beverages and packing food all of us were masked up <laughs> awesome. and uh, we were not able to pop champagne and share drinks we weren't able to hug each other um, <laughs> but it was definitely a huge huge moral booster you know it's such a positive news when we've been hearing nothing but you know uh, negative news the last few months yes. uh, in a newspaper uh, from Singapore and around the world so it's something that really motivated the team really galvanized our, our fan base you know they they place a record number of uh, cocktail takeaways uh, you know, in our nice. cocktail pouches and bottled cocktails that weekend. So it's something that, that really uh, was really encouraging for us. That's amazing. And as you say, like such a, a great boost in a, in, a, in a time of so much uncertainty. It must have been really like feel really, really good, even more, more so than, than usual. Um, before we go into to the whole COVID situation and, and, and hear a little bit how you've navigated that, um, I'd just love to, to just like understand a bit more about the business. So, so your wife and I set it up. Uh, she'd been to the best hospitality school in, in, in Asia, in, in Singapore with, with Singapore Airlines. I love that. And, and you'd obviously got incredible background with, with, with Bain and company. Um, you've got, as you pointed out, restaurants with different atmospheres, um, like, Tell me a little bit, how, how, does, how does the creative bit happen? Like how, how do you come up with these concepts? Yeah. Well, when we first started out, we did have a, this grand plans to become a, you know, a mini hospitality group. Uh, we were just motivated to, to create one bar. And we had a purpose in that, that we want this bar to be a place in the community where our customers can find comfort, forge friendship, and share happiness. And that's been our guiding principle and guiding mission. Uh, all these years. And after we did one, it was really difficult being a small independent bar. Whenever we have a staff turnover, if one person leaves, that would be one out of five full-time staff. That's 20% of our team that has left. And it, it's, it's a big um, disrupting uh, kind of situation for the business. And at the same time, we also sometimes have the other problem where we have a lot of amazing bartenders and chefs is coming up through the ranks and they say, okay, what's next for me? You know, do I have to wait for my head bartender to quit before I go up to the next position or should I leave and apply 
for another job at another bar. That's when we realized that, hey, perhaps it might be a good idea to expand. And we'll have more opportunities for our team. We'll become more resilient. And should things become more challenging in the future, we feel that having a little bit of a size, now we don't want to become a, a, a mega chain, but at the same time, having a little bit of a, a size and scale could, could be useful, could be helpful. And that's been proven correct as well. But we, we didn't want to just use the same template and start opening other bars. As much as I came from, from the finance world, the numbers world, it was always a little bit boring just to maximize, you know, or optimize numbers uh, on a spreadsheet and make that as the, 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 the guiding principle of opening businesses. I think the fun part about being in hospitality and F&B is there's an element of uh, creativity an element of creating something that's that's new that that the people in this city will embrace and they can come to the restaurant or the bar and say wow it's it's you know so happy this place is open that it brings something new to the city so the way we come up with the the different concepts is 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 a mix of of you know just uh, stumbling upon an inspiration whenever we travel or when we go to another place and says would it be nice if singapore has a version of this uh, but also combined with, I guess, a level of rigor is a bit of my training, you know, to stress test the concept, to to discuss it with not just uh, our chefs and our bartenders, but on the business aspect, you know, try to stress test it to make sure that it's something that's viable and sustainable. Uh, you can't just take a concept that you've seen somewhere else. Like, let's say I go to London and I see something amazing. I say, I'm going to open this in Singapore and then just copy paste that and expect it to do well. But I think what we did is we, we see that and we find out what is it that we loved about that place when we were in London, and then try to see what would the version of that be in Singapore, you know. And sometimes it takes, you know, quite a big, um, a big change and a big uh, departure from the original concept to do that. Totally, and and I that resonates big time with with my experience too. So, so the chain I had set up in in London was a chain of hummus bars. So a okay. concept that originally you know was from the Middle East and specifically from from, from Israel, and it was interesting how to, we we were testing different recipes in in the UK and which ones resonated and which ones didn't right and 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 actually giving it a, 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 a you had to give it a, a a twist a london twist if you want for it to be accepted and actually it was quite interesting sometimes seeing israelis come in and they'd be like this is nothing to do with what we've done back home you know like what are you doing here so so it, but i think you 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 put your 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 finger on it perfectly which is a, the creativity is really interesting and, and you do need to adapt it. And, and B, the rigor you must bring from Bain & Company is like something that like restaurant industry at the end of the day is, often, is, is a margin business. It's getting, making sure that you, you've got your, your costs in line. And, and I think that must help tremendously yes. on that front. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I mean, I'll give you a, an example, uh, a story, if, if I may. Um, of course, one of our concepts is, is humback. It's an oyster bar and seafood restaurant. Uh, I used to not be an oyster eater, but uh, for our honeymoon, my wife and I, we took a holiday to Seattle and Portland and state of Washington. We rented a car nice. and we drove around there. And on the recommendation of a, of a close friend, he says, I should go visit an oyster farm. And I've never visited oyster farms, not a big oyster eater, but at the same time, the idea of doing something that you can't possibly do in Singapore sounds, sounds intriguing, you know? For, uh, for someone in F&B. So we went to visit a farm 
uh, put on those rubber pants up to your waist <laughs> yes. down to the to the estuary, <laughs> and then took a bite of that fresh oyster, and that changed my life. I've never eaten oyster as good as that, probably ever again. Um, <laughs> just because of that first moment, so of, fresh, so fresh. The setting was beautiful. You know, you uh, half submerged in water. It was cool. Uh, slightly <sighs> drizzly as it always is in, in the Pacific Northwest and, <laughs> yes. uh, totally and London totally and London <laughs> and totally <laughs> totally loved it and we said how come we've never had this experience in Singapore before so we came back from the honeymoon uh, not having a baby but uh, having an idea for a new <laughs> restaurant and I think it sounds like okay sounds simple enough let's open an oyster bar but that rigor then made me first figure out how I'm going to bring the logistics, you know, the landed mm -hmm. cost, as we call it, you know, of taking oysters from the best farms around the world, which are generally far away from Singapore, you know, mm -hmm. and we're going to bring those from, from Seattle, for example, ship them, air freight them all the way to Singapore and be, uh, be able to sell them profitably in Singapore. And what we mm -hmm. realize is that oysters are not necessarily your profit center. Um, they're very popular. People make a point to eat oysters and make a reservation to eat oysters to celebrate. But generally speaking, in Singapore, they're not accustomed to paying very expensively for a price of an oyster. They're used to the yeah. idea of oyster happy hour or a buffet in, the, in a five-star hotel with as many oysters as you can eat. So we realized that if you want to make money from this restaurant, we're going to make money from other food and alcoholic mm -hmm. beverages that go with the oysters, right? Yeah, but the good thing is we realized when we were stress testing the model is that people like to eat oysters when the sun is still out and they like to drink champagne and white wine and gin and tonic together with it even while the sun is still out. Um, unlike in, in, in the UK, for example, in Singapore, a lot of alcoholic consumption happens after dinner. They go to the bars after dinner. Mm -hmm. uh, at dinner, maybe they may have a glass of wine, but it's usually not a habit. So we realized that with oysters, we can afford to not make a lot of money on the oysters or no money at all because we can make it up through the selling of uh, wines and champagne and gin and tonics and all that earlier in the afternoon um, and have that so-called cover the economics of the restaurant. So I guess that's the way we, we come up with our, with our concept. We have an idea that we love, that we really just passionately want to bring it in and then, okay, figure out how we're going to make it work. That's awesome. I love that story. That was really, I, I, I could just imagine you putting those boots on and just like going and get crapping. I, 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 I must say, it makes me want to go and do that, to go and check check out like fresh, fresh oysters. It's, uh, I'm, I'm sure it, good. Well, I'll, 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 once, once this whole lockdown is over, I will de definitely look to do that. <laughs> Um, I, I, I just love to, so you, you touched upon it at the beginning there saying when you, when you won the award that you were, that your team was like preparing cocktails to, to deliver clearly, uh, the, the, the coronavirus crisis has had a massive impact on Singapore as it has on, on, on the rest of the world. I, I just love to, uh, just to understand, first of all, like what was the lockdown like mm. in Singapore? Was it very strict? What, 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 what were the parameters? How much did it restrict movement of people, et cetera? So, you know, in Singapore, the, the fears of a, the coronavirus and COVID-19 happened pretty early. Uh, Singapore was impacted by SARS some 15 years ago, even if mm -hmm. it wasn't as, as uh, it's nowhere near as bad as, as COVID-19 or um, how it impacted Hong Kong, for example. But you know, the whole idea that that could be a, a highly infectious disease and a pandemic is something that that is not unheard of uh, here in Singapore. 
So the government from the get-go was pretty transparent in reporting early case numbers um, and sharing the details of who the the, the early um, patients were to mm-hmm. you know to this pandemic. And the first idea that we realized that this might get serious was when international travel start to get curtailed. Uh, yeah. Singapore uh, banned travels coming in from Wuhan province to, to Singapore. And that was quite unprecedented for a city that is so well connected to the world, that is a, that is a transit hub. And when we started seeing in some of our restaurants that corporate events were getting canceled, um, corporate events, you know, gatherings uh, by companies, especially those involving international colleagues and conferences were canceled. That's when we realized, okay, things might maybe become a lot worse, but we still at that time have somewhat high level of confidence that, you know, Singapore might come off the better um, vis-a-vis other countries. Um, Mm -hmm. In some aspects, that's true, but in many aspects, it's, it's, it's still pretty bad. So things escalated. And then by the end of March, the, the government then announced that all nightlife businesses, so nightclubs, bars, pubs, cinemas, have to close wow. for I think six weeks was the first announcement. So Jigger and Pony, our flagship cocktail bar, um, had to close from the 27th of March. And about a week later, or 10 days later, on the 7th of April, Singapore went into kind of a lockdown that we call circuit breaker here in Singapore. And that's when all non-essential businesses have to close. F&B can only do takeaways and deliveries, so no dine-in at all uh, for all forms of F&B. But uh, supermarkets are allowed to open. People can go out and take away food or go to the supermarket. They can, uh, a few other things, they can go to, I think schools were closed and most offices, unless they have a very good reason or they can prove that they are working in what is considered essential services, have to close. Mm-hmm. That ended up lasting for 11 weeks from beginning of April to just about I think, two and a half to three weeks ago. And finally, after three weeks ago, we've, we've relaxed that. We're now in what we call phase two at this moment of the reopening. And uh, restaurants can now do dine-in again, but we are limited to some safe distancing measures. So five people maximum in a group. Each group have to be apart by at least one meter you must wear masks every time you come out of the house and you can only take it off if you are eating or drinking. And there is a, a curfew for alcohol sale and consumption at 10.30 p.m. So no you know, wine glass or sale of uh, alcohol for dine-in for a takeaway um, after 10.30 p.m. So that's the situation that we are in, we're in right now. Um, you know, originally when we, when we did this, we... we didn't exactly have a plan. I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, it's not something yeah, that I don't think anyone did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you you probably have a plan for like you know what if one of my venue have to close you know if there is a fire if there is a flood, but I don't think we have a plan for all of our venues closing and for the whole city, um, yes, to, to be in lockdown. So that was totally new. Um, but yeah, I think it really pushed us to to try some something different. So what we decided was we're not just gonna hunker down and, and, and wait, but instead we'll try to pivot and we'll try to, to try doing takeaways and deliveries for the first time for both our food and for, for our cocktails. And uh, yeah, that was uh, 
that was a very ex- exciting 11 weeks uh, that we had and, and so and how how quickly did you uh, do the deliveries was that like a couple of weeks in or, yeah. or like yeah we were quite fortunate that our team were super motivated when this happened um, they were of the same mindset that we're not just going to wait that mm-hmm. we'll rather you know, even if we've never done this before or we don't feel confident at that point that it's going to amount to anything, we're just going to try our darndest. So on the 7th itself, the first day we are closed, we launch our own website to do food takeaway. Uh, our wow. website has always been on Squarespace and Squarespace make it quite easy, to be honest, to set up an e-commerce. Um, and Singapore already have some third-party logistics drivers that you can, you know, order on demand via the app. Um, albeit at a high cost. We were not listed mm-hmm. on, on a third-party platform, kind of like Uber Eats, well, or in Singapore, Grab Food and, and Deliveroo. Um, so we weren't listed on those just because we think the commissions uh, did not make it sustainable uh, for us. So we started doing that. So the very first day the website went up, uh, we started you know, buying takeaway food containers, uh, whatever we can find from the neighborhood stores, um, and start doing food. Uh, two days later, we launched a cocktail takeaway in cocktail pouches. So what we did was uh, we put two serves of, of uh, our signature cocktails, put it into uh, a vacuum pack bag, and then seal it. And we include the fresh garnishes. It could be a lemon peel, it could be rosemary, it could be whatever the, the, the garnishes are. And then we sell that for takeaway. And that was quite unusual. We were one of the one of the first in Singapore and, and eventually also one of the very few handful that did the cocktail pouches. Everybody else went with the cocktail bottle uh, or bottled cocktails format. And the only reason why we did the cocktail pouches was because we couldn't get our hands on bottles. Uh, <laughs> we weren't prepared for this. Uh, and when we tried to call some of the suppliers, it was like, we are out of stock. You got to wait two weeks, three weeks, you know. Um, so we were like, we can't wait two weeks. You know, we got to launch this this week. Uh, otherwise, our revenue goes to zero. So... We thought, hey, you know, we have a lot of these vacuum pack bags. You know, every restaurant and bars have vacuum pack machines nowadays uh, for the Amazon Plus and all that. And when we tried it, it's like, hey, you know what? It looks really appealing. You can see the cocktail. You can see the garnishes. Uh, it's a different feeling. So we, we launched that. And uh, about three days into the, into the lockdown. And then since then, pretty much we realized running an e-commerce business is completely different than running F&B. You, the pace of development has to be a lot faster. You just have to remain relevant uh, and top of mind for customers. So again, credit to everyone on my team. We were launching so many new initiatives almost every day, every other day for the first three, four, five weeks. And what we saw was, um, I think, out of that 11 weeks lockdown, nine consecutive weeks of revenue growth. Um, wow. From delivery. That's amazing. It was from a base of zero. Uh, yeah, <laughs> achieve, which just makes it easier. But to achieve nine consecutive weeks of growth was something that we were we were very proud of. Um, yeah. We managed to hit uh, back to about thirty percent at the end of it, about thirty percent of our pre COVID nineteen you know group wow. revenue. It's something that we are also very proud about. Um, you know, so yeah, that that's and, and it's that's really so. I agree with you totally on like the the 
e-commerce is completely different from 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 a um, from a FMB business in terms of how do you bring people in. I'd love to hear a few ideas that that, that you that you worked on to to to, yeah. to be be relevant, especially because you were saying that you weren't listed on Grab and Uber Eats. I think often that is a um, you know I agree with you on the high high fees. I think it's it's very hard to justify, but but at the same time. It is kind of your shop window in yes. a way, you know. It's your yeah. it's your marketing. Um, so I would love to hear what what you did a bit on that. I think we are fortunate to begin with that as brands, our F and B brands, we've always had good direct relationship with our customers. That we have a database, you know, through our bookings and all that, of people that we can reach to via our social media, via EDM emailers. Um, and we have a very engaged group of customers, uh, especially in the cocktail bar side and with our cocktails. Uh, there are fewer competition for bars, for cocktail bars versus, you know, all the different flavors and, and cuisines of food out there. Um, and it helps that we are recognized as one of the best in the city um, for what we do. So when we first started it, we, we made sure that the, the website uh, looks good. Uh, we have five different brands or so five different websites. But we were actually consolidating the operation and dispatch out of out of just one one hub. So what we did was we created our website to become a bit of a I call it a department store. So you know you can have all the different brands and bundle that together. And uh, some guests really like it because previously they weren't able to do that. You know they can't have pasta from our Italian restaurant paired with oysters from our seafood restaurant paired with you know old fashioned from Jigger and Pony. So now they're able to do that. Uh, nice. So that's the first thing we did. We also make it a point to make sure that the ordering is as frictionless as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's something that was very new to us. You know, we have a mantra, even in our day-to-day service in the restaurant, which is called fast and accurate. And that's a phrase that we borrowed from Tony Sie of Zappos. And uh, I went back to read his book and I was like, okay, now we're in the same business, Tony. Um, we're gonna do we're gonna do fast and accurate with our with our delivery. So love it. We made sure, for example, when you load up the website, uh, that we don't want. There's no usually when you go to a restaurant's website, you see beautiful pictures. You know, you, you, there's something talk about who we are and what we we stand for, and then you click on menus, and then you can choose dinner menu, whatever. And we said, guys, during this time, anybody who's going to our website, we just want them to buy takeaway and delivery from us. So mm. as soon as you type in humback.sg, which is our, our restaurant's web- website, for example, straight away, it's a, a block shop of, that you can buy, you know, everything from, from food and drinks and everything like that. So we, don't, we wanted to make it easy for people to find us and then to make that transaction uh, as quickly as possible. We, we have a lot of manpower because, again, all of our restaurants were closed for dine-in. So we make sure we have a lot of um, customer service uh, representatives to answer questions. We make sure that uh, we have uh, a logistics coordinators to call on drivers and um, you know, riders to pick up the food and deliver. And we make sure that we can be as efficient as you know, the grab food and delivery of the worlds, you know, to be able to order, place an order and then get that delivered within an hour, an hour and a half. But also if you want to place that in advance, you know, you can do that. So it was something that, that you know, all of us have to change the way we, we do things. You know, our job scope got redrawn 
you know, to become customer service officer, to become uh, a web uh, developers to, to try to put this. Uh, we ramped up our social media uh, heavily mm-hmm. and, and that really helped. And then the thing that also helped is to build that personal connection to our guests. So we realize this is a very unique situation because all of our customers, all of our, of our customers, they're not able to go out of the house. Um, mm. They can't go to their bars. They can't go to no restaurants. So a lot of people are really bored at home. Um, so, and they're looking, lacking human touch, right? You're not able to go to your friend's house. You can only do Zoom calls. So we started writing uh, handwritten postcards just to tell nice. them some positive news or to thank them. Uh, we also put it on our website that you can include a message. So if I'm sending a birthday cake to a friend or a birthday cocktail to a friend, I can then include a message just to wish him That's happy very birthday, nice. things like that. Um, for our bottled cocktail, we've even drawn the labels by hand. Um, again, in the beginning, we didn't think we were going to sell so many, uh, but we were drawing <laughs> the labels by hand because we wanted to have that connection that this is from our bartenders to you um, mm-hmm. and things like that. And, and we saw that really paid off. Yeah, we see a lot of our customers um, taking pictures and videos and uploading them on social media and tagging us uh, and being really touched by those personal touches. So I think in summary, that's what we did. You know, we, we, made, it, we made it available. We made it easy, uh, straightforward, and fast and accurate for the transaction. And then we try our best to, to have that human connection uh, restored. Yeah, I I think that the the uh, all of that is like strategically very very uh, very astute of you to have like thought of those pieces and and I like that human connection piece. I think you're a hundred percent right that the the number of times I've heard I've had enough of Zoom and you know like it's one thing doing Zoom calls when it's for business, but when it's to catch up with family and friends, it feels a little bit like oh, I just wish we could see each other in person. You know, so Absolutely. so like that's a nice way to 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 try to re- recreate that. Yeah, and and. And tell me, how how did the uh, Singapore government uh, help in this? Because, I mean, in, in, in the UK, it's obviously been a, a huge topic, like, you know, with the furlough scheme where people have been paid if the, if their business is, if the business they work for is effectively closed, uh, but also the government talking about a lot of measures specifically for FNB being one of the most hard hit sectors. Like, how, how did the Singapore government help? Yes, I think... Singapore government, we are very grateful. We are very grateful for all the support that the government has done uh, here in Singapore. So what they did was announce a job support scheme that covered mm-hmm. uh, a percentage of wages for all Singaporean uh, employees of SMEs, uh, small okay. and medium enterprises. Uh, the percentages vary from sector to sector. So if you are in retail, I think it's 25%, FNB, 50%. If you're in hotel or tourism uh, sector, 75%. Okay, And wow. uh, they announced that straight away for nine, nine months of continuous oh, wow. job support okay. scheme. Because they know that not only do you need to survive the initial shock, but they want to make sure, you know, people know that when, when, when businesses, or the government knows that when businesses make hiring decisions, they have to take a medium term um, yes. kind of sentiment. So... That really reassured us to feel that, hey, you know what, even if the recovery is, is not going to be V-shaped, if it's, a, I don't know, a Nike swoosh shape or whatever shape it is that people talk <laughs> about, that there is some level of support. Uh, so that's really mm-hmm. helpful. And when the lockdown happened, they increased that to 75% for, 
for F&B and uh, quite a number of other consumer facing sectors as well. So that really allowed us to tie to through that um, that phase. Now, Singapore uh, has a very diverse uh, workforce uh, in our team. You know, we, we don't have just Singaporeans. We have 11 other nationalities working for us. So so for those, the government were not able to assist uh, to that level, um, but they did waive some of the there are some levies that we have to pay uh, typically for um, for foreign workers. Mm-hmm. And during this time, during a lockdown period, they've also kind of refunded uh, those levies to help us uh, keep as many of our employees employed. Uh, okay. So that's on the manpower side. On the rental um, and lease uh, side, the government has also uh, stepped in. First is they put a moratorium whereby if you're unable to pay your rent, the landlord can't just kick you out straight away. I believe the UK has something like that as well. Yep, same thing. And they even uh, uh, stepped in further whereby the government were passing on property tax savings to the landlord and then mandating that the landlords have to pass that on to SMEs. Um, Interesting. And then also for SMEs whose businesses have been impacted, and that's defined as revenue dropping more than 35%, then the landlord has to match one for one what the government is giving them in tax savings. Okay, um, interesting. So, so, all, so in all, and, and yeah, all in all, that amounts to, I think, nearly four months or four months of uh, rental waivers. Okay, which is significant, right? I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a lifeline for, for yeah. F&B. You know, many SMEs and F&B, we, you know, we don't have the the financial, um, how do you call it, a war chest or something like that, or rainy yes. day funds to cover so many months of, of zero revenue or very very low revenue. So it was it was a it was a lifeline. And so the interesting thing when you're saying uh, so, I think the 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 UK government did the furlough scheme, which sounds like what they've done in 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 Singapore, like up to a certain so percentage. It was the same percentage, eighty percent across the whole um, okay. uh, industry, all industries, but it was capped at two thousand five hundred pounds per month to 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 kind of have a, right. a ceiling on that. The, the 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 rental is a very interesting. Point I find because traditionally the, the 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 balance of power has very much been skewed towards the landlords for the past. If you look at the last 20, 30 years, and I I, I don't know, yes. and I'm sure before probably also, but where you had five yearly upwards only rent reviews, i.e., the rent could only go up every five years. Now, I think two things are, are happening. First of all, so there was the moratorium, as you said, um, and that's been extended. It was initially till the end of June. That's been extended till the end of September now. Um, and the, the interesting thing is that there, I think there's a major shift in terms of properties uh, in, because, for example, so a lot, people are working from home. You know, everyone who can work from home is working from home. So like the city mm-hmm. of London, the financial hub is pretty much deserted at the moment because yes. all those people are working from home. So you've got yes. an inflation of like the value of property in residential areas of like, you know, commercial property in residential areas, but a huge fall in, in commercial areas because you know right. there's no one around. And, and right. the, the interesting thing I, th- I find now is to see I don't think that just reverts back. I agree. I, I, first of all, I totally agree with you. Is it a, a Nike swoop? Is it like a V? Is it a U? Is it a th- you know what is it? You know, we we we. I think no one really knows, and we'll find out uh, in in the next few months. But even if it does come back, 
I think there is a profound shift where everyone I speak to is now saying, I used to not work at home at all. I'm going to do a day or two at home, or I'm going to do three days, or I'm going to do five days at home. You know, I'll go in once, maybe once a month or once a week. And that has a profound shift on value of, of properties. And I think, well, it is in the UK, there's a kind of renegotiation that's starting to happen where landlords are pushing back. Do, do you think that something similar might happen in Singapore? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, rental is obviously not something that you can, that can change overnight. You know, a lot of contracts mm. are for a year, two years, five years, um, and it really varies. But you know, every time a contract is negotiated, it's, it's always about, it's always about supply and demand, mm. right? Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. You will see the same trend here in Singapore where you will see fewer people working in CBDs, more people working at home. Yeah. Um, when we did our food delivery, for the first two weeks, I was very curious about where, where's my, uh, you know, let me do some big data analysis and see where my customers <laughs> are based. And I plotted on Google Maps, I think, like all the, all the, the, the orders that we received. And what we realized is, you know, people in Singapore, it's a small city, but they really live in every corner of the city. You know, we don't have a, a customer base that's only within two kilometer radius of our restaurant, of our bar. And I think what it means, what it just means is that if people are going to work from home, then they're going to want to find food options and, and, and bars and cafes in, in those areas. And I think that's going to happen. Uh, and especially in Singapore, where first of all, Singapore is not, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's usually serves as the corporate hub of Southeast Asia or even Asia Pacific. So there are many companies from your big tech company, like Google, Facebook, uh, as well as financial services that have their headquarters in Singapore. So anyway, the kind of work that Singapore employees are doing are all about coordination with people from other offices. So you know, it's already remotely distributed. So I think there is a lot of jobs in Singapore that can be done from home. I don't think it will be 100%. Uh, I do think that the exciting FNB enclave in the middle of the city will continue to be exciting. But there must be a reason now for customers to travel all the way there to socialize. Or to, to, it's not just a matter of convenience that this is where I work, therefore I eat and drink downstairs. So I do think that's going to happen. And I do think the balance of power will be a little bit better. You're right. It's always been pro-landlord whenever there is, a, there is an economic boom. So I think now, hopefully, the balance of power will be a little bit more balanced. Here in Singapore, a few small business associations are also trying to draft a fairer uh, tenancy agreement framework that hopefully will will eliminate some of the more um, outrageous clauses that you know landlords try to put into your your leases, and especially when negotiating with small FMB operators who who may not have access to the best legal counsel, to you know or to push back against big landlords. I think that's something that's going to be really positive. So yeah, I'm uh, looking forward. Uh, that's that's it, that I agree. I think it's and and I think it will help also. You know, there was kind of a a, a trend where uh, more was being done online. So so whether it's working from home or, or retail, which was already like, you know, the, the kind of, well, definitely for retail, the trend was on the high street was da downwards. Um, and, and, I, and I really hope that this makes governments and big landlords realize that actually we need to support retail restaurants, FMB, because this is the lifeline. This is like the, yes. this is the community. 
element yes. of a city, right? And without that, you, you lose that community, and and it's hugely valuable for for for, for the population, yes. for the economy, yes. and. Governments, I think, will now. Well, I hope governments will look at this and be like, actually, we need to think, rethink how we tax this sector, rethink how we support this sector, rethink how landlord-tenant relationships happen within this sector, because we want to support this. And clearly, things have changed majorly, not just because of COVID, but before. And this is this has been an accelerator, and we need to now take action. I and I hope if that comes out of this, this will be very, very positive Absolutely. as an outcome. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, do you think so, so? In terms of the delivery bit, that surely is something that you're now cons- considering continuing, hmm. expanding. Hmm. Like, what, what, what do you? How do you feel? About, maybe in, over the next six months and and further into yes. the future. Yeah, I think we can't afford to rely a hundred percent just on dine-in anymore. You know, mm-hmm. now we know the risk of pandemics and shutdowns. It's it's not something that you can't foresee. You know, it has happened. And it is likely, like we were seeing Melbourne, for example, as of yesterday, uh, shutting down for another six weeks. So it yeah. is it is foreseeable, it is probably likely that we will have multiple rounds of you know, COVID-19 spikes and there may be more likely to be more um, lockdowns in the future. So we have to be better prepared this time. We don't want to have to you know, dust off, uh, look into storage and find those uh, takeaway containers again and start to figure it out when that happens. So we want to continue and we are going to continue that. Now, of course, now it's gotten a little bit trickier because I no longer have all of my uh, team available to, to become you know, logistics coordinators. Uh, we, are, we have resumed dining service at our restaurants and, and uh, you know, that's taking up a lot of their, their attention and time. So, but we are taking this time in a way to finding out more sustainable logistics solutions. So whether it be talking to different platforms or going back to, to Grab and Deliveroo and say, hey guys, you know, your 30%, 25 to 30% commission was a subject of a global debate. You know, is this, is this still going to be the business model that you foresee? Or maybe there are now other upstarts who say, hey, I can do it for 15 or 10% or something like that. And mm-hmm. maybe we can look into that. Um, and at the same time, we are also looking at our packaging of the product or on the product side. You know, um, we've had all this data, right? Pouches, bottle cocktails, um, which items do better uh, than before. We kind of like have an 11 week, you know, focus group and real data, like rapid prototyping phase, whatever, whatever engineers call it. Um, <laughs> to now MVP, minimum viable product. <laughs> and we start analyzing that. So uh, we also feel that within that, there may be opportunities to create new brands, uh, virtual brands or, or ghost brands, some people call it, um, mm-hmm. that caters better to the delivery market so that, you know, this can be a, a hedge uh, in the event that things go south. So, and I think it's beyond just delivery, you know, different, different uh, F&B companies have also come up with other ideas to, to generate revenue away from dining service. It might be that they do virtual masterclasses uh, it might yes. be that they do virtual experiences. Uh, a lot of them are creating more content because now they know that if the customers don't have that direct brand relationship with the restaurants or the bars, that it's that much harder um, for them to buy from you. So it's mm-hmm. important to create content, whether it be whatever it is, you know, uh, that connect to your customers. So I think all of that, I wouldn't want to stop immediately just because you know Singapore seems to be 
on its way to to reopening back the economy. I think we have to be to use this as a lesson that hey, it's good to be somewhat diversified. Yeah. T- totally agree, and and so now it's reopened. Uh, you're in this phase two of reopening. Um, how how are you seeing? Are yeah. consumers confident to come out? Uh, are you seeing levels of trading recovering a bit? How how yeah. how is it? I think in terms of consumer confidence going out, uh, I feel they are more confident now than they were in the weeks leading up to the first lockdown. I think back then. There were a lot about this virus that we don't know or how, how bad it can be. Uh, right now, I think more people feel that they, there, is a, there, there is a way that they can keep this under control. You know, the Singapore government has made contact tracing more efficient. Uh, there is a lot more measures in place. We all know now that we have to wear masks at all time uh, for, for all parties. Um, all the safe distancing is well understood now and things like that. Uh, so I think what we see is that the uh, in the first this first three weeks uh, of uh, the reopening that customers are quite confident coming out more so than than they did in the in the beginning of March uh, before Singapore imposed the first lockdown. Uh, and there is a little bit of revenge uh, eating, revenge drinking uh, <laughs> happening. Um, it's not often that we would get people ordering a bottle of wine or champagne with their lunch. Uh, for example, yes. <laughs> um, we saw that happening in uh, much greater frequency for the first couple of weekends. You know, uh, I think also there was a lot more birthday celebrations. Again, yes. you know, God forbid we do another Zoom birthday parties. Um, yes, I guess. <laughs> um, <Not> never again. <laughs> never again, right? Um, but yeah, so we've been we've been encouraged to see that the customers are eager to come back to the restaurants and to the bars. Um, we haven't gotten back to 100% of where we were pre-COVID. Um, we have the 10.30 p.m. curfew for, for alcohol, which obviously, um, you know, hurts the bars a lot more. Mm-hmm. You know, that normally, you know, 10 p.m., 10.30 p.m., that's usually your peak hour, um, you know, kind of like your most profitable trading hours. So we have to also rethink about how we get people to come out earlier, start earlier, uh, or consume more and things like that. Um, but overall, I think I'm I'm super happy. You know, I will take this um, over over the circuit breaker or the lockdown at any time. And uh, yeah, I think people in Singapore, it, it all depends on on how well we keep a lid on the, on the cases. You know, I speak to friends in Hong Kong, for example, that seems to be a little bit further along um, the recovery curve in Singapore, and it seems like restaurants and bars are hitting record numbers. Um, than than even before, and all this despite you know Hong Kong and Singapore being an international city is despite all these two cities not having any significant international arrivals. Mm-hmm. Uh, but perhaps because usually the the people who work and live in this city travel all the time too. So maybe now that they uh, they allocate their travel budgets to uh, dining in and dining out here in Singapore. <laughs> That's a, that's a big travel budget for you know for that's a big budget to go and party you know so but and I think it's because it's um uh, it's interesting because we've just had the reopening uh, weekend and super they were Saturdays. calling it this super Saturday exactly uh, which I don't know if you saw some of the pictures in Soho where everyone was just like in the street yeah. and and it was just like guys have you not been reading the news at yeah. all like it doesn't sound like too 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 safe uh, but. 
But um, and I saw a funny. There was a funny ad by Carlsberg that was saying, uh, "Hi Zoom and House Party. We'll take it from here." Carlsberg, you know, we're like we're, we're now now it happens in the real <laughs> life kind of thing. So, uh, but so so that's reopened, and it was a little disappointing from what mm-hmm, was expected. Mm-hmm. And I guess we're like kind of in what you're now calling phase two. Has the government announced how long phase two is going to be, or is this like they review it as cases come out? And and what does phase three look like? You know? Yeah, so the government said that phase two might go up to several months. Okay. But I think the real truth is, and what I would expect, and I hope the government would do, is to make the decision based on data. Right? Because I think yes. at the end of the day, this is a health safety issue. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, they did not have a negotiation with, you know, the coronavirus and decide, okay, you know, we agree, we'll do this, and then you'll do this. You know, <laughs> like nobody can predict how this virus yes. is gonna gonna evolve. Uh, the situation is gonna evolve. So I think if the situations continue to be good, and if all of us do our part, you know, and not and not breach safe distancing guidelines, and and F and B and retail and everybody, uh, all businesses also comply with that. I think we have a good chance that bit by bit, little by little, different sectors. Um, we'll see the restrictions relaxed where, mm-hmm. where you know, if the risks have gone lower. I think what the Singapore government has done is uh, there are many, many shades of phase two. And there were also many, many shades of the circuit breaker. So wherever they see a pocket that they feel, okay, this is too risky, then they are going to clamp down on that. And whenever they see that, you know, the risks are manageable here, we will relax that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what uh, they've started doing that, for example, so... Hotels now are allowed to welcome guests again for staycations since we don't have a lot of international guests yet. Um, cinemas are going to start to reopen, I believe next week, if I'm not mistaken, uh, subject to a cap of 50 people in the theater. Um, for F&B, we are still waiting and we are in active discussions So with the, the government authorities. So, uh, you know, the good thing is they have been listening to, to us, um, you know, big and small, to hear what our experiences are, what our pain points are, and we are able to make our case that, hey, you know, maybe this, is, this makes sense, this doesn't make sense, maybe this you need to relax. And I think so far we've, we feel that they are listening to us. Now, of course, it takes time for them to digest and, and change that uh, into actual, uh, you know, guidelines and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm hopeful that in phase three that... Uh, more bars can open. So right now, Jigger and Pony uh, as a cocktail bar is still closed uh, and has been closed since since late March. So we are hopeful that as a cocktail bar, you know, we we our risk is, is closer to that of a restaurant than it is a nightclub. So it's a fully table service only. You know, you don't have to come up to the bar to place your, your drink orders. There's a server that takes your, give you a menu, that you order, deliver it there. Um, we can even step it up by making it reservation only. Um, and have no standing tables or anything like that to, again, um, follow the guideline of that of a restaurant. Uh, and we are perfectly comfortable doing that, for example. Uh, so we are hopeful that that will happen uh, soon, whether in phase two point whatever or phase three. That's interesting. Yeah, it's 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 difficult to. Um, I think that the 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 point you're making on the nightlife is is. Uh, those clubs in particular, like I can't imagine that being easy to reopen yes. anytime soon. So that's going to be difficult. And um, just in terms of 
like clearly, you know, and you highlighted the Hong Kong and Singapore, so are, are like several weeks and months ahead of 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 the rest of well, the, Europe and the U.S. in terms of of this. Um, what kind of advice now? You you're you're kind of in this second phase. You've talked about diversification, making sure you know don't give up on like deliveries and things like that. Are there other pieces of advice around there that you've been like you know? This is what I'm spending time on now because, you know, I need to, like, as I move into this new phase, this is what I need to be doing. I think when we are in a crisis like this, um, all the all the things that you used to do, you know, you have to throw that out the window and, and start over. It's kind of like, you know, at the beginning of this conversation, when we have this romantic idea, oyster bar, and then you put the business rigor on it. So we're just restarting on that process again. Right? We have a restaurant, but now we have all these limitations. You can't sell alcohol after 10, 30 p.m. You can't have more than five people in a group. And we don't know how long it's going to last for. So we have to assume that it's going to last for a while. Uh, mm-hmm. And until the facts change, then we'll change our strategy. And then again, we, we I just try to put it through the rigor. You know, what can we do? You know, how should we change our pricing? Do we lower our prices now because the economy feels softer? Um, do we change our food to become more you know, comfort food, something more familiar, um, or what is it? And I think each business, there's no, you know, silver bullet. Each business will need to take a look at, at their own brands, their own concepts, their customer relationships to, to see what's uh, most suitable uh, in there. But I think as a guideline, what we try to do is we're going to, to contract and cut costs. But at the same time, we want to grow. You know, it's not in either or kind of situation. Um, so if you're going to eliminate costs and reduce costs, I want to make sure that that doesn't hurt me from growth. And there are certain areas where that we are spending even more uh, money on than before because we feel that it's a growth. So for example, let's take a look at our cocktail uh, product, cocktails. One area where we might want to reduce costs would be to substitute the use of super premium spirits with premium spirits. Um, all of us are hating the Zoom experience and want to go have the real experience in the bar, but I don't think we're gonna go there. It's like, what, you're only gonna give me this, you know? I'd rather go back to Zoom and have a super premium uh, whiskey. I don't think that's <laughs> yes. gonna happen that way, right? Um, no. We all want the human relationship more yes. than the particular product at the same time. So maybe I can reduce cost in that. But at the same time, I'm gonna spend more money looking for better packaging for my bottle cocktails. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, I want to grow that part of the business or at least have that as a hedge in the event that we have to go back to to a lockdown. So I think too many businesses have the mistakes of either just cutting down all the way down to the bone. And then when the market recovers or when the opportunities arise, and even in tough times, there will always be going to be opportunities that they were not able to, to act on it or even to focus and start looking for those. And then there are also some companies who maybe are a little bit too gung-ho and a little bit too confident and, and you know, and, and, and use mantra like, you know, when others are fearful, we are, you know, uh, we, we, shall, we shall act. And, and while that's a good mantra, you know, you can't act uh, foolishly. So I think you gotta do, you got to do both. And, and you got to really think about where it makes sense for your company to cut back and where to grow. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I, listen, I've really, really enjoyed our chat here. I've got a few quickfire questions to finish us off on. Okay. First thing that comes to mind. So favorite cocktail? 
Martini. Great. Uh, if you could only choose one of the three, starter, main, or dessert, which one would it be? Main. A steak, preferably. Yeah, a steak. <laughs> Good. And what would be the last meal on earth? Would it be a steak or what, 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 what do you think your last meal on earth would be? No, it wouldn't be a steak. It would probably be my mom's fried rice. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah. They're, How does she do it? Uh, very simple. Um, day old rice, you know, next day, day old rice. Uh, she fries it with uh, some soy sauce, some, uh, some bird's eye chili or chili patty, as we call it over here. Um, mm -hmm. And a bit of chicken. And then you have fried shallots sprinkled over it uh, after the rice is cooked. Nice. Nice. That sounds delicious. <laughs> well, Indra, I am so grateful for, for you taking the time today to, to, to chat to me. Um, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, it, like if there's anything else uh, you'd like to add before, before we, we end, please, please let me know. Uh, but otherwise, you're most welcome. Thank you so much for having me on the show. You know, it's, 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 uh, it's a crazy time we live in, in a crazy world we live in, and we are all living through the same set of challenges. And I'm, I'm really encouraged that so many people are sharing their experiences, their best practices, and I'm constantly on the lookout as well to, to find more ideas uh, from friends around the world. Um, and I think together we'll be, we'll be able to overcome this and we'll come out stronger. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And I totally agree with that. I think uh, it, it will make everyone a lot stronger when we come out of this. Thank you so much for listening. If you want even more insights and tips, you can head over to Tenzo's blog linked in the description or follow at Tenzo Inc on Twitter and LinkedIn and Tenzo PPL on Instagram. Hope you have a great day.